Welcome. You're listening to a rundown of the setting of the international LARP Spoils of War by Katrina Wind from Narrators Inc. This episode focuses on woodlanders and religion. Religion. The religion of all principalities, apart from the mistlands where House Styx rules, is a religion of life. It is known as the faith of life. The expecting mother, father and life itself are holy and the murderer is cursed in the eyes of the faithful. The greatest thing you can make of your life is providing room for life and give new life. Fertility, concerning children, but also crops and animal breeding, is subject to great admiration. The absolute holiness of life is respected over anything else. Quasitus. A priest of the faith of life is called a quasitor. Their main seat is at the temple of life, which is led by the council of life. Quasitors are representatives of life, so to become one, it is required that you have given life, that is, had a child, either within the boundaries of marriage or without a marriage to partake in this responsibility. It is always the lady or lord of a principality who determines guilt in a criminal case, but the quasitors pass sentences. They will be crucial in what possible punishments will be necessary in the aftermath of the war. When you are made a quasitor, you have to formally accept the nomination and then you step out of your former family and renounce your family name. From this point on, you are no longer officially interested in matters concerning your former family. Representatives of the Council of Life nominate quasitors. When the nomination is accepted, the Council does not have any authority over the quasitor as anything but spiritual guides and stewards of the one place where the Quasitor can always come to and belong, the Temple of Life. Quasitors don't undergo any formal education in order to be appointed to their position. Instead, they are usually nominated because of a certain quality. They could be very wise, decisive or have a strong sense of judgment or empathy. They could also simply be especially blessed with great fertility or success with their crops and be viewed as chosen by life itself. Thus. They are not necessarily educated or learned people. Quasitors can have many functions, but often they will continue their old endeavors, such as farmers, midwives or stewards. Nobles have to find a whole new life for themselves upon becoming a quasitor, since they will have been used to being someone simply because of their name. Now they need another purpose. So often nobles only become quasitors if they are especially pious and wish to answer a call or if they want a good excuse not to be married to someone they hate, perhaps. This equality is the formal ideal in principle. In practice, however, the noble bearing, long life and powerful friends of a noble quasitor will more often than not have a strong impact on their success and influence in their new office. The quasitors act as spiritual guides in matters of life and hold ceremonies. Some choose to abandon their principality to live and serve in a temple. A common duty for all quasitors is passing judgment in trials. In groups of three, the quasitors shed light on a situation and determine the appropriate punishment. The ladies and lords, or sometimes the regent of the Queenland, are always the ones who determine whether someone is guilty of a crime or not. But the punishment itself is left to the quasitors after they have heard all sides of a case. In spite of this, Nobles will often be punished in very different ways than commoners. 
In conflicts between citizens from two different principalities, the quasitors are often used as counselors and negotiators in strives between two lords and ladies if they are in doubt about guilt. In the case that a lady or lord clearly maintains the claim that someone is guilty of a crime, but the accused obviously hasn't done anything, the quasitors will sometimes reduce the penalty to a symbolic one. The penalties can be everything from community service and smaller fines to imprisonment, dismemberment, stripping of lands and titles, and in the worst cases, castration or sterilization, taking away the possibility to give life. A Quasitor Council of Three can never pass a death penalty. They represent life and cannot take the life of anyone. Extreme misfortune, illness or mortality among their own family or people is considered a sign that the blessing of life has left a Quasitor and that leads to great shame. A Quasitor who, on the other hand, does her or his job through many years without any misfortune is considered blessed and is highly respected amongst nobles and commoners alike. Mortons. The counterparts of the Quasitors come in form of Mortons, priests of death. Mortons handle funerals and inspect dead bodies as the first people after death has come. Mortons often show up a short time before or after a person dies, no matter the cause. This premonition of death has given them a dire reputation. They can also partake in the passing of sentences. Only when a Morton is part of a council can the sentence be death. To be a Morton is a rare but very necessary position that doesn't contain much glory, honor or admiration. Mortons are viewed as cursed, creatures more than people. They can talk with and be around others, but their view on life always has death as a focus. The Mortons are all sent to Tourist Moor, a tall tower that reaches above even the highest mountains of Darkfields. House Lynx's area. There are many rumors about what these powers are. In spite of this, the only certainty is that Mortons seem almost untouched by time. And many farmers will insist that they have seen the same Mortons and grandparents, parents and siblings from this world after their death. It is considered a very ill omen to have a Morton in your vicinity. Therefore, they are often chased away by villagers where life is good but they always come back to attend the deceased. A Morton is not always in the near vicinity of a deceased person, and then the family will have to put their loved one to rest themselves, which will often scar them for life. A Morton can participate in a trial on the same terms as a Quasitor. If a Morton is present in the council as one of three, this Morton technically still can't take the life from the accused, but they can grant an especially sinful person death. It is widely regarded, but rarely explicitly stated, that they are the same thing and that the difference is merely symbolic. In cases where the crime is so severe that castration or sterilization is considered, death is often viewed as the lesser of these punishments. Despite this, many people consider it a breach of the absolute holiness of life to proclaim a death sentence. But there are more mixed opinions on this since the great sin that you will hear more about later. In several places, the faith of life is replaced by mysticism, ritualism and looking to the forefathers, but it is generally seen as primitive and uninformed. Few nobles with respect for themselves would admit that they worship anything other than life. 
After the massacres of the Great Sin, more city folk have lost their view of life as being holy in and of itself, and they have turned to heresy. Several religions have sprung from this. Many disappeared again, but some are persistent. The Mistress of the Mist People in the Mistlands, with house sticks as ladies, have their own religion, in which they worship the Mistress of the Mist. Most people will have only heard rumors of strange heresy, but in learned circles some details have been revealed over the years. The religion is dualistic and resolves around the difference between the clean water and the abominable water. The Woodlanders The Woodlanders are humans that many centuries ago chose to leave their known civilization to live in the forests. Woodlanders and city folk can speak with each other, but their cultures have grown more and more apart. The Woodlanders practice a religion very similar to the city folk, where the most important philosophy is the absolute holiness of life. Death is viewed as something shameful and something to be avoided at nearly all costs. Preserving life has the utmost priority in all aspects of their society. Those who are mortally wounded or ill are not abandoned before their life has decisively left their body. Many woodlanders live in daily fear of sudden, unpredictable death, both for themselves and their loved ones. Woodlanders perceive city folk as tied up by their rules, lands and families. As woodlanders, you connect as mates more than as spouses, and the worship of life is more focused on the society than individuals. Everybody in your grove is your next of kin and is just as willing to help you as your mother or blood brother. You choose to join your family and choose to leave it just as willingly. Many woodlanders wander through several groves before they find a mate who will fit them, and even then it's not necessarily for life. Most woodlanders perceive city folk as too negligent of the worship of life and not as civilized as they cling on to their blood families and allow that to decide their fates. The woodlanders' obsession with life comes with a very harsh view on death. Dead people are not shown any respect, and an early death, for example by illness or accident, is perceived as a great shame and unholiness. You can mourn a lost life, but if a person died, the living are immediately a priority. A dead body is preferably dismembered, so that it can be put into the ground to fertilize it. But if the meat is young and fresh, cannibalism is not unheard of, neither is feeding the deceased to dogs or wolves. Because of this fierce hatred of death, woodlanders find the unholy existence and acceptance of mortons the greatest heresy of the city folk. The Great Sin The Great Sin happened 150 years ago. During this time, woodlanders and city folk lived mostly in peace. But some woodlanders had grown more extreme and full of righteous hatred over the developments for city folk who had taken more and more of the forest for themselves. Leaders of different groves gathered and agreed to strike at the different principalities. A huge number of cities and villages were wrecked and only the largest cities and stone castles and houses survived. Survivors were taken as working slaves for the groves. But the woodlanders were not alone. They had joined forces with Lord Ranas Redmore, King Victor's grandfather. In the Cape, there was almost complete assimilation between woodlanders and city folk. The understanding between them was great and there was next to no racism. Even Lord Ranas himself had woodlander blood a few generations back. 
runners saw an opportunity to make his neighbors weaker and thereby strengthening his own position. Some say that Lord Runners Redmore and his kin helped ignite the strife further in many other principalities to be able to invade and expand his power at a later date. However, none of this was ever proven. There is a history of racism on both sides. Woodlanders are often used as cautionary tales for children, but especially for the last hundred years, they have been mostly withdrawn to the deep forests. Woodlanders refer demeaningly to Starlanders as wall dwellers and in return bush rockers is a common derogatory term. You listen to a rundown of the setting of the International Love Spoils of War by Katrina Wind from Narrators Inc. Spoils of War is an adaption of the two Danish LARPs in the Victoria series by Katrina Wind and Alexander Bagensen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>